if you're going to have a partnership, you need to have tag along clauses and things like that in a nature where legally you can force your partner to sell and they can force you to sell provided some sort of stipulations are met. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's... The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best a lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff and well, first off, I hope you're having a best ever weekend because today is Saturday. We've got a special segment for you called Situation Saturday where we're going to talk about a tough situation and how the best ever guest overcame it. That way, if you come across a similar situation, you have a playbook and you know exactly how to overcome it or you have some tools and techniques for what's worked with previous people in that situation. With us today to walk us through a how to approach partnerships, what to look for, and some hard lessons learned along the way, Mark Kenny. How you doing, Mark? I'm good, Joe. How you doing? I am doing really well, and thanks for being on the show again, Mark. Best ever listeners, you might recognize Mark's name, and that is because he was a guest on episode 975. It's titled, Hotels and Multifamily Investing on a Passive Level, and you can hear his best ever advice. He has money in over 1,000 units as of that time and began when you were 22 years old. Did I get that right? Yeah, started when I was 22, I guess 21 probably really, and now we're in about over 2,300 units. There you go. Wow. And you're also a CPA based in Dallas, Texas. The company is Think Multifamily, and you can just go to thinkmultifamily.com. That'll be in the show notes link. So Mark, let's start out with partnerships, obviously, and maybe a story about a partnership that didn't go the way you wanted it to go, and then we'll kind of extract the lessons learned from that. Sure. So I'll, I'll give you an example of a very recent tough lesson learned is we had a partner in a deal 
and it's a little confusing because he actually was already in another deal with another partner and we bought his partner out. So we came in, bought his other partner out, assumed everything, same company, same LLC, same loan, everything. And when we did that, we found out fairly quickly that he was doing some things he shouldn't be doing. So within two months, we kind of discovered some things. Like what? Not recording payables and not like ten, twenty thousand, but like three hundred thousand dollars from twelve months old. <laughs> well, ten, twenty thousand is a big deal too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's try three hundred thousand. And <laughs> frankly, it's a lot of it's bogus scam between him and a vendor. And we're talking a multifamily property, right? Right. It's, okay. Was it self-managed? Is that why he was able to do that? Or yeah, self-managed, and he, you know, partner in the deal, general partner as well. And since we took over, we inherited all those sins, if you want to say. And we did a lot of due diligence ahead of time. But end of the day, if someone wants to be deceitful, yeah, they're going to get away with it. We caught them quickly, took legal action. How'd you catch him? Well, first, I went down there, surprise visit. That's one key thing. I think if you have properties, even if your partner's running the deal, do a surprise visit. They'll always be like, why didn't you tell me you're coming? I'm like, because I don't want you to know I'm coming. <laughs> and I want to see. And Things kind of looked a little bit, not super bad, but kind of like not quite as good as it should be. And it was only, it only been two months. And then we actually had a board set up over that property. I don't go into all of these deals on that, but we had, you know, an SEC attorney from Harvard and some pretty high caliber people. But essentially I was requesting information on the rehab. It's a very large rehab project and I wasn't getting the answers. It was more like, uh, you know, how much something cost? Well, probably more than we thought. How much? Well, you know, kind of those answers. <laughs> So we had a formal board meeting and requested information formally through the board, five members total, including himself, and gave him a deadline. He didn't produce the information. So we were like, we don't even know what you spent on rehab and things like that and what still needs to be done and, and all those basic questions that you should get. That's where it started. And then when we kind of uncovered more and more, we didn't find out until after we removed him. It took us almost two months to get him out. Somewhere around there after we requested information and then we, we had the attorneys involved and everything like that. Then invoices showed up two weeks after we booted him out. Invoices showed up like from one vendor for $160,000. It went back from December 2016. So at that time, nine months old. So if your gut's kind of telling you something, just doesn't seem quite right. And fortunately for this, we took action quickly. Our basis is low in the property, but nobody wants to go through that. We lost essentially about five months of our business model right off the bat. When you went to the site visit, you said things didn't look exactly how they're supposed to. It was a surprise visit. What specifically did you see that was a little off? Vandalism, which isn't uncommon. It's a classy property, but broken windows and doors that were sliding doors that were broken. And it's a huge rehab project. And there were a total of three guys there working. So it's like, this doesn't seem quite right. Uh-huh. And there was always an excuse given. They are tough, but the city is giving them problems, which they were. And the lender's not giving him money from the reserves and things like that. But we met with a lender directly ourselves and kind of got the story on that. And it was like, well, we don't believe that everything's being done the way it should be done. But it was kind of just for that big of a project and have three guys working there. Mm-hmm. And then before that, requesting information like what percent are we complete and how much we spent versus how much we have. Your typical information wasn't provided and still has not been provided to this day. It was really quick that you were able to identify that. 
Would you say that ties into your CPA background? No, not in this case, really. I think it was somewhat probably timing just happened to go there at the right time when things were kind of looked a little suspicious. It is very quick. You can argue, well, hey, you know, you wish you would have caught him day one, but end of the day, this is a guy I'm going to partner another deal with. I at that time trusted him, but yeah, it really wasn't. It was more just gut. And then I have something to compare it against. I have a lot of other properties where mm-hmm. other management companies and I can be like, well, I get this information from them. Why am I not getting this from you? Mm-hmm. And that is somewhat luck and then taking action immediately. We didn't give them any wiggle room. Uh-huh. You said it took almost two months to get them out. That seems lightning fast to get someone out of a, did you kick them out of the general partnership? Yeah, we have an overall company with five members in it that kind of oversaw this property. And thankfully, we have attorneys that were involved. And one is on the board, an SEC attorney from Harvard graduate and things like that. So we were able to finagle things. If it would have been left up to me, he'd still be there. But we engaged the appropriate legal people immediately. Good. And, and that helped. Without them, frankly, we would be probably all our money be gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And you said that you bought his partner out and you assumed the previous partner's position. And congratulations, you're now a partner with what turns out to be a crook. So <laughs> did the person who sold you their ownership interest know what was going on? No. Not that we're aware of. Why'd they sell? What was the reason uh, they sold? The story was that a New York guy had properties up there, and I think he was frustrated with the lack of communication, but to my knowledge, had no indication whatsoever was going on because a lot of things didn't really come to fruition until after we removed him. Then all these invoices showed up and hmm. liens on the property. And <laughs> bizarre, I'm kind of a little bit lesson is I would never go in that situation again, buying out a partner because you inherit everything from before. Uh-huh. Uh, there was some advantages to doing it. We got yeah. to keep the same loan. We didn't have to pay additional fees and things like that. But personally, from my own perspective, I would never do that again. Uh-huh. Okay. So now that you know what you know, what would you say about if you're presented a similar opportunity, how would you qualify that partner? One, I think you could do just background checks, which lots of times you're not going to find some of these things like this anyways. I would ask to talk to their old partners, which at this time I'd already been partnered with this guy and he gave me a story. So I'm kind of like, okay, well, I don't need to go check with his partner. But I would say, can I talk to your other partner? Or what would your partner say if I talked to him? What would he say? <laughs> kind of go from there. And the other piece is, regardless of what's said, is everything in writing. So in this case, there were some existing agreements that we were never even provided that made it more difficult to get him out. So it's almost like you have to do a do-over. If I come in and buy a partner out, we need to restructure everything. All the agreements that were done between the construction companies and the existing company, that all needs to be redone. Because if you don't do that, there could be things in there that makes you liable for things you never even dreamed of. Mm-hmm. So background checks, talking to old partners, asking them, what would your partner say about you if I talked to him or her? And then gathering all of the paperwork that is in place 
even though they might not share everything with you, but at least you can ask for it, right? That's right. You ask for it in, you ask for it in writing, probably. In writing. In some cases, like he had a construction company that was doing work there too. I would have asked to redo those agreements that were never even provided. Still haven't been provided. So that's the thing is you don't know what's out there, unfortunately, in a situation like this. Okay. So those are the three. Have you done a background check? I've had people do background checks on me and I have to give them my social and my name and stuff. Have you asked that of a partner before? Yes. I did not with him because he was a prior partner, but Mm -hmm. I have. And if the partner has an issue with you running it, then I would just say don't do business with them. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, really? But I think there are a lot of things when you enter into a partnership. This is no exaggeration. I just had dinner last night with two of my best friends. One's an attorney and the other one is a financial guy, a large organization, and he had some rental properties as well. And he had mentioned he's been trying to sell his rental properties for the last 18 months and his partner doesn't want to. So lesson learned, guys, if you're going to have a partnership, you need to have tag-along clauses and things like that in a nature where legally you can force your partner to sell and they can force you to sell, provided some sort of stipulations are met. So he's stuck there not being able to sell his properties for 18 months because his partner doesn't want to sell them. The other partner... He's known a guy for 23 years, went to law school with him, He's been in partnership with him for nine years. And his partner came in Wednesday before Thanksgiving and came in and said, I'm done. I don't part with you anymore. So if you're in partnership long enough with enough people, I can guarantee one of them will not go as planned. Mm-hmm. And you better make sure you have things in writing, even simple things you think simple, like what do you do in a tiebreaker? Usually it's 50-50% ownership a lot of these partnerships how do you break ties legally break them how do you resign if you want to get out and there's a whole slew of things i don't know what you do joe but with partners i know a lot of the banks don't support dual verification your partner could go and withdraw hundred thousand dollars and say thank you very much and you could after the fact address it but you can't address it typically before it happens mm-hmm I think partnerships are great. I really do. I think you look for people that have some sort of skill set that you don't have. You plan for the worst case scenario in writing because eventually something will probably happen. Hopefully it doesn't and have it in writing that way. But yeah, at the end of the day, your reputation can be tarnished. Think of all the people that you don't think of as individuals. Their names are said together. Right. So if your partner is doing something that they shouldn't be doing, there's a good chance and it's not even doing something. I mean, that's that's the extreme example. But if they treat people differently than the way you want people to be treated, just fundamentally, they don't have the same, the way they interact with people. Maybe they're very harsh or brash and you're not like that. You can sometimes inherit their reputation, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Going back to the story you were talking about, if you had asked for a background check, if you had talked to his old partner, which you talked to the old partner, but you didn't do a background check, and if you had asked for everything in writing prior to going into the partnership, then you likely wouldn't have gotten everything in writing. So then the question becomes, would you have known that you weren't getting everything in writing? So here's a hypothetical question to you. If you would have asked, can I have everything in writing? Do you think he would have shared with you enough stuff 
to lead you to believe that you had everything or would he have not shared with you enough where you're like, wait a second, oh, something's he, up? He would share enough without a doubt. He's an extremely intelligent, okay, crafty individual. I'm kind of back to where I would personally never buy into another partnership like that where I'm inheriting potential liabilities and risks that happened before I was even involved. And he washed his hands. He's gone now, right? And thank you very much. Mark, you can take all this stuff and look at these vendors have been old invoices from nine months ago that I never paid and didn't pay sanitary for 12 months and recorded all in the books though. They're all on the P and L. Sanitary is a pretty important service. Bizarre to me how you get away with that. Yeah. So let's talk about the never buying into another partnership like that. Because there are opportunities for you to, or in, as an investor, for us to buy an LLC from the seller. And then is that what you're referring to? No, not so much. If you do that, I think you can put language in there where anything prior to that, you're not liable for and things like that. This was literally just buy a partner out of the existing everything. My partner still stayed in. So it was kind of a different structure. The loan stayed the same. Everything was the same. The example you buy an LLC out, I think, is different. I mean, one reason you might do that is for your tax basis. People kind of do it that way. But I think if you ever consider doing that, you need to put in verbiage about anything prior to the day you took over, you're not liable for it. With the approach that you took with this gentleman and the partnership, anything that – if you had to do it over again, obviously there are some things that you do, and we talked about that. but if you did those things, the background check, talked to old partner and looked at everything in writing, you still wouldn't enter into another partnership like this? I would not. Yeah, right. it, it's, burn, uh, burn the bridge, baby. It, it burned the bridge. There's other deals I can do are a little less uh, <laughs> risky, I guess. Yep. Fair enough. It could work out, right? You could do 100 deals and 99 of them work out perfectly and just that one, it taints you. Well, this is good information if we're presented a situation like this. We will all reference this episode and have a cautionary tale for what to look out for and proceed with caution if we do proceed. Anything else as it relates to partnerships that you want to mention? No, just back to having everything in writing. I see people that have these loose agreements that exist and your agreement needs to contemplate everything going south and how you account for it. Always having someone that can break the tie because you're going to have disagreements. I think having really just the the core fundamental beliefs that are the same, let alone the skill set that you help each other, but having the same way you treat people is critical. Everything in writing. If your partner doesn't want to put things in writing, then there's an issue, right? I mean, I just wouldn't do business with them. You need the ability to maybe also, this is people have different perspective, but if you have a partnership, more than likely one partner thinks either what they do is more important than the other one. Mm-hmm. Hey, I find deals. Well, I raise money, so you can't get deals. Or I raise money, you can't do that without <laughs> deals. You know, it's like, hey, don't don't do that, right? I mean, but inevitably, someone's going to think that th- what they do is more important. I recommend maybe doing things deal by deal because life events happen, and yes, you want to help each other. But if you're doing ninety percent of the work on three deals and I'm doing ten percent on three deals, then I think you should be compensated deal by deal. Splitting up by category, who found the deal, who raised the money, whose earnest money is in there, whose balance sheet's being used, and do it deal by deal. That's what I would suggest doing it that way. That way there aren't those hard feelings potentially where you get two years in the partnership and one person thinks they're doing a lot more because 
the other one's wife is sick or you know what I mean? Something like that. Sure. Great stuff. And this has been helpful from a very practical standpoint when we go through this scenario and also just from, um, no, it's kind of entertaining too. <laughs> Sorry to tell you that. Thank you. Thank you. I was, I was no, actually you know, entertained by your story. Yeah, no, and, and it's uh, it's bizarre. I mean, I never would have dreamed like literally anything this would happen. It's almost like a story you'd have on TV, and it really is. But I'll share anything with anybody because end of the day, I do not want anyone to have to go through some of the lessons we've, we've learned over the years. Why did you have a board? That's not typical. It's not typical at all. So. We had a, <laughs> a larger organization with these grand plans, which included this other individual. And as a result of that, we had a board structured. We had a CFO from a publicly traded company, the SEC attorney, with a, a larger broker guy involved. And it was really more to make sure everything's structured up front legally okay. and how we potentially, my other partner's plan was, Let's bring this together and eventually create a REIT. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to structure him, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> hopefully he ends up in jail is where I hope he ends up. I really truly do because he needs to stop <laughs> doing this. I mean, he, and it, it goes back to the reputation. My reputation gets hurt because of what he did. But I think if you can be very open with investors, and that's the key, be very open with them and share everything you can. Of course, things don't always go as fast as everyone wants, but if you're open communication with them and most investors, not all, but most of the investors will be okay and supportive. It's that one or two that maybe are, doesn't matter what you do, might not be quite supportive like they should and nothing's ever good enough, but communicating out is key. Mm -hmm. How much are board members in a scenario like that? If you can't say exactly how much they're compensated, but in a scenario like that, how much are they compensated? The board members, because I was on the board and then this other individual was on the board, we had 50% total between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And then the other board members, that's somewhat getting diluted down. But I, I, that's very, very high. I never liked that structure. It was actually set up before I got but, involved with him. But this goes back to the compensation piece again, who's doing the work. One individual has done virtually nothing because his time hasn't come yet. He's a CFO, right? We're not at that point where we need him. So why give away some sort of percentage up front that might never happen? It doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I think it's reevaluated, right? Deal by deal. little confused. You said 50%. So you had 50 and the board had 50? He and I together had 50. You so we're, and... we're on the board, though. We're on the board. He and I are both on the board. But you said there are many board members. Five. There are five. So five board members, each of them roughly had what percentage? 75%. Four board members at 75%. So we, that's how we had the right to vote them out. So everyone had about 18%. Yeah. Four. Some had, it, it varied depending varied, on the role. Varied. Yeah, it did. Wow. Okay, yeah. cool. That's a ginormous amount. It's insane and it shouldn't be. And it's actually not going to be, yeah. frankly. It's getting adjusted. Yeah, I got into that with him and he had some grand scheme plans and things like that. But yeah, there's absolutely no reason to be giving that type of percentage away. It makes cool. no sense. Well, Mark, thank you for being on the show again. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Our website, thinkmultifamily.com and email is mark, M-A-R-K at thinkmultifamily.com. 
When we look at partnerships, we got to obtain background checks or run background checks. We need to obtain everything in writing and ask for everything in writing because we might not get everything in writing that has been memorialized. But if we ask for it, at least there's a paper trail of us asking for everything in writing and then talk to other people who have partnered with the person we're planning on partnering with and ask the potential partner, what would your partner say if I talked to him or her? What would your old partner say if I talked to him or her? Those are three ways that we can attempt to mitigate the risk. But ultimately, as you said, Mark, if they're trying to pull a fast one, they're probably going to pull a fast one. And it's just a matter of having a plan in place for if a fast one gets pulled, then what are the steps that we need to take in order to get that individual out of here? So thanks for being on the show, Mark. I really appreciate it. Hope you have a best ever weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.